Welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Hi, welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. I'm here today with my co-host, Rubina Chaudhry. How are you doing, Rubina? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you, Phyllis. And how are you? I'm doing okay, thanks. Uh, I know it's been a difficult week for you, so I'm glad that you're back in Fullerton and, and you're able to you're able to join us on the call. Thank you. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about our um, our show today because I think a lot of people experience the fact that they remain in their homes, but sometimes they need to make modifications to their homes. They don't know where to begin or what modifications to make. I know I've encountered a lot of people who've had that experience. You? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Not only so today in we have with us live. Colin Healy, who's a principal of Colin Healy Designs. And a Colin is a certified aging in place specialist who's devoted to helping people stay in their home safely and comfortably for as long as they choose by designing beautiful, accessible spaces. And he's a leading advocate for universal design, which I'm sure he's going to talk about and explain. And that's a practice that strives to make products easy to use and to make the built environment easy to navigate for people of all abilities from the youngest to the oldest. So, um, Colin, I'm glad to have you on the show. I know we've spoken many times in the past, and, and I think it's going to be great information for our listeners. How are you doing today? I'm doing, I'm doing well and looking forward to our talk. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's our pleasure. So, Maybe you want to first explain what universal design is for our listeners, because uh, I think there are some very interesting components to it. Okay. Well, um, universal design is a concept that uh, has been developed over the last 30 years or so that, as uh, the introduction said, it strives to make environments so that they're safe and easy to use for people of all uh, levels of ability. So as an example of uh, a universal design concept, um, in a home we have doorknobs. And for an older adult or for a child to rotate a doorknob takes more energy and, um, and strength than it does to operate a door handle where uh, there's more leverage, it's easier to grab, you can operate it with your elbow or your hip. Um, so that's an example of um, universal design. Works for the youngest, works for the oldest, and has even more benefits than the standard doorknob. Wow, I never thought about that, how, how it could be challenging to turn a doorknob. Never entered my mind. I'm sure it hasn't entered the mind for a lot of people. So like you say, as a person gets older, their grip um, is probably not the same. I know I've experienced that myself in trying to open jars. And um, they may even have, I guess, difficulties with rotation of their mm-hmm. of their joints. So that would certainly make it much more difficult. Very interesting. Sure. What, what, is, and- what is... Go ahead. Sorry. What, what I was going to say is a lot of the time when people think about it, making aging in place modifications, they're looking at the worst case scenario, which is um, you, you need to have wheelchairs, so everything has to be on one level. The doorways need to be wide enough to accommodate a chair and so forth. But there are all different levels of uh, what we might call disability. I remember when I was much younger than I am today, I did a face plant on a ski slope and jammed my shoulder up so bad that I I lost the use of uh, my right arm uh, significantly for close to six months. And I learned this lesson about the doorknobs way back then <laughs> because 
you know, it was difficult all the way up to my shoulder to make that kind of um, um, motion. So we we can walk out the front door and trip and fall and need a wheelchair as well as we can age into it. So um, this idea of universal design is be prepared at all times by making your home so that it's safe and and um, accessible. Well, of course, that makes a lot of sense. What what exactly is a, an aging in place specialist, and, and what's well, required to get that certification? Okay, the um, National Association of Home Builders a while ago uh, realized that they were getting many, many requests for um, help from older people to stay in their homes longer. And so they put together a program which teaches how to um, make the modifications that are necessary for that. And so that certification is called an aging in place specialist. And the kinds of people that take that might be physical therapists, they might be builders, architects, designers of various sorts, anybody that um, has to deal with people in their homes when they're less than fully able um, could, could <clears throat> benefit from this kind of training. Oh, very, very interesting. So um, would, would just architects, because you're, you're an architect by, by uh Mm -hmm. By education and profession, is it really only architects that can get that kind of certification? No, it's it's actually primarily builders that get it, and um, and as I said, there are a lot of other kinds of professionals that get it as well. But builders um, get it most because their organization uh, promotes it. I am a member of the local um, home builders and remodelers association. Uh, because builders are customers of mine very often, and we all support one another in the kind of work that we do. Oh, so that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the common challenges that, that you've experienced that people face as they get older, let's say, and need some modifications in their home? Um, you know, I'm sure there are many different kinds at many different levels. What are the most common ones or the most common challenges, if there are the most common ones? Sure. Well, the most common ones are preparing for the eventual need for um, having a wheelchair in the house because it's likely that at some point um, that would happen. And so in order to make that possible, the doors need to be made wide enough for a wheelchair Typically, people say the door needs to be 36 inches wide, but it can actually be two inches less than that um, with the door open and still be able to uh, get through it. Um, we like to make the floors as level as possible, get rid of throw rugs and, and tripping hazards because those are the things that can send you to the hospital uh, pretty quickly. And... Um, when, when I think about how to, how to prepare a house, I start out at the curb and I think how to get somebody from their car into the house. And then once they're in the house, how do they get to the most important rooms, which would be your uh, bathroom, your kitchen, and your bedroom. And if you can prepare a house so that all of those areas are accessible, uh, the rest of the house doesn't need to be brought up to the same standards. Uh, that's that's quite enough, and visit and visitability is another concept that goes along with accessibility. So when you make the home accessible for yourself, you're also making it accessible for your aging parents, their friends, uh, any of your friends that are going through uh, aging or some kind of disability. So it's it's just a wonderful thing to do. When you said about picking up rugs, I immediately thought of, um, I know for myself, I have a throw rug next to my bed, and um, there are times if I get up in the middle of the night, whether it's to go to the bathroom or, or get a drink of water, I find, you know, sometimes that rug slipping, kind of feeling like it's slipping out from under <laughs> me. So what I would, I would assume that that would be 
a minor thing that a change that people can make that could help them and prevent falls and help them most immediately. It's such an easy thing. I don't think people think about that. As well as like I walk to the bathroom sometimes. I don't have a light in my bathroom. It's very dark. So I guess there are night lights that you can put in different outlets that would light the way. Um, yes, there are. And, and there are even uh, now stick-on LED lights that operate on batteries that can be um, just taped to the baseboard, um, and they'll, they'll last for something like a thousand hours. Or I, I can't remember. I, I read um, read a profile on one of these products the other day and was really quite surprised at how long hmm. the batteries would last. That's something I should probably invest in. I just was thinking yeah, I, I have this difficulty. I haven't even thought of it. That good thing we're having this conversation. I actually ordered one because I wanted to see how good they were. Um, when when you think about the places where you might need extra lighting, it could be in the bathroom, it could be in hallways, uh, at a landing on the stairs, and uh, it's really expensive to run wires around. So if you can get a solution where for, I can't remember, it was something like 10 or $15 for a fixture, uh, that you can put in in a critical place. Even lighting the insides of closets is is a great thing to be able to do because as we get older, we just need more light in order to be able to see. <laughs> True. I talk about this one um, particular uh, issue, I'll say, that I don't think people think about, and I'm wondering if you've encountered this. So in a lot of people's homes, I know I have a microwave in my home, and the microwave is above the stove. Mm-hmm. And so I've often thought about older people, and it doesn't, like you say, it doesn't have to be an older person. It could be somebody that is unsteady on their feet for a variety of reasons. And if this person has a cane or a walker, and they have to hold on to that and then open the door of a microwave, put in a plate... And then when the when the microwave is finished, when that process is finished, they have to open the door of the microwave. The plate is hot. Take two hands to remove that plate. And if and if they are holding a walker or a cane with one hand, or they're unsteady on their feet, I mean that's really a tremendous hazard. I don't think people probably think about that. Yeah, and the the microwave is sort of the magic device of uh, our times. Uh, particularly if you're um, you're living alone or if your kids are gone, uh, we find that we're much more casual about the way we make meals these days. Um, I'm, you know, I'm I'm in my seventh decade at this point, so our our children are uh, far along in their ages as well. But we use the microwave all the time. Is what I'm trying to get at, and the um, thing that I do with a microwave, if I can talk somebody into it, is to put it below the counter. Very often when I redo a kitchen, if there's room for an island or even along the walls where you would have your standard countertops, it's great to be able to build in a microwave either below the counter or in the space between the counter and, and, the, uh, and the underside of the cabinets. And it, it just makes so much sense, both for older people, but, you know, today we've got latchkey kids that come home and their parents aren't there because they both work, and to have them be able to reach the microwave to heat up a snack or something is a great thing, too. You know, as I was just thinking uh, about it, there are even people who um, who are home and, let's say, a a loved one uh, let's say they are experiencing some kind of cognitive decline and a loved one, it, you know, tells them that at a certain time or re- tries to remind them at a certain time they should heat up the food um, so that they would eat and probably doesn't consider some of these other possibilities. And then when they return, and this has happened to people, uh, they return, they find the person hasn't eaten and they want to know why and that person may not want to explain or is 
you know, feels uncomfortable about explaining that they have balance issues, they can't do it. There, there's so much that goes into it that I, I think requires so much thought. And probably as you have an older person in your home or you're older, there are probably ways to consult with people like yourself before you even think about making a financial investment that would help you think about the changes um, that you would need to make. So I'm, I'm sure you're available for consultation. I'm sure you've had consultations, I would assume, correct? Yes. Uh, so I, I have a, a consultation that I do where I uh, come out and look at a person's house, help them understand what are the uh, things that they would need to do to make the home safe um, and accessible. And I actually use a list that was developed by National Association of Home Builders. And I've added on to that my many years of experience with designing homes and remodeling projects uh, that go beyond what they, they put into the list. And people get uh, what I call an action plan. Here are the things that are most important to do. Here are some things that, you know, when you have the money and you have the time, um, you, you might consider these. And in, in that way, we help them decide what are the things to do and what order to do them. Okay, so this sounds great. Uh, we're just about ready to take our first break. And when okay. we return, um, I'm sure you have some other gems that you can share with our listeners about what they need to do or how they should plan in advance rather than waiting until something happens. I know I always say plan by choice rather than crisis. So we'll return in a few moments on Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Phyllis Amen, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back. This is Rubina Chaudhry with my co-host Phyllis Amon and our guest, Colin. Colin, you were talking about microwaves, and uh, of course, that is Phyllis's favorite example. And, uh, and the suggestion that they should be located underneath the sink or lower. And actually, that made me think because we went through house renovation just about four or five years ago. And we do have two microwaves, but they're both high. And then my daughter went through uh, renovation, and they put it lower, and her children were younger. I had concerns about safety when you have young children in the house. And what's the technology these days? At my 
concerns unwarranted? Well, speaking about microwaves, the um, microwave is, I don't think it's a very dangerous product and, and it's easy to teach a child how to use it. Um, and so I, I wouldn't be too concerned with the microwave being low, uh, below the counter. Um, so it, that, that doesn't strike me as a very, uh, very serious problem because they can easily be trained to use it. Um, if you open the door of a microwave, it automatically goes off. So um, right. there's not much chance that they would get uh, hurt by the microwaves, oh. whether, whether they can lift something that's hot and put it up on the counter is, is another thing to think about. But I think that's more an issue of the parents training and to be able to have uh, something that's low enough for uh, an adult uh, in a wheelchair uh, to use, I think, is a great thing. And going a little bit further with the other modifications that are possible in a kitchen, um, preparing for a wheelchair requires that they be able to get their feet underneath a counter in some place in the kitchen. So often I'll... I'll plan an area where the countertop will drop down to 30 inches that could be used for preparing vegetables and so forth. Try to put that right next to the stove so that they can operate the stove better. And uh, there are also cabinets that are available that will pull down from the wall. They're on these special mounts. So if you reach up and you grab the bottom of the cabinet, it pulls out and away from the wall and down to the level that you can use it. So these days there are a lot of products that are available that most people don't know about, but someone with some training knows where to go get them. Uh -huh. now, can I ask a question about that? that? I just want to ask one quick question, if I may. Uh, when Because I had that idea about uh, different levels of surfaces. What about uh, if you have a kitchen and there are the counters, let's say the person who lives in that, in that environment is in a wheelchair and so the counters are built in a way that's lower, but what happens if somebody comes who's not in a, not a seated person and they, that would be an uncomfortable height for them to be able to prepare meals or, or function in some other way. How do you make those kind of adjustments? Well, that, that's a very good question. And it's not, it's not always possible to have a solution that's perfect for everyone. But um, I, there's an example of a couple that I'm working with right now where um, we, we are going to drop the stove. And I'm designing the countertop in such a way that the seams in the countertop for that stove are right at the edge of the stove. And later on, if they decide to, uh, at some point, they'll sell the house. And if they wanted to raise that back up, it would just be a matter of replacing the cabinet that's below that to restore it to a normal height. The breaks at the, in the countertop would be uh, sensible and, and attractive. And so it's possible to do these things if you have somebody with sort of a design sensibility helping you with it. Interesting. Yeah, Rubina, I think you have some other questions also about maintenance issues, right? Uh, yeah, I'm not there yet. What are some of the oh. other things in the kitchen that, uh, that Colin, you can share with us since we are in the kitchen area right now? We've, I've learned a lot already. Okay. Um, in, in the kitchen area, we need to have good lighting. And so I, I usually recommend putting in under cabinet lights so that the the countertop surface is well lit as you can imagine that's good for for anybody to have that degree of lighting the uh when i think about lighting the kitchen very often if you don't have that kind of lights the, the light source is coming from behind your head so you can cast a shadow onto the countertop so that's one thought um the the bathroom is another place that's really of, of prime importance that we should talk about. And there, okay, the most common, 
the most common elements that people add are grab bars, and um, those are placed near the toilet or at the entry to the bathroom or in the shower in order to keep you from falling because the bathroom is often, it can be a slippery environment. Uh, I've heard statistics that the majority of accidents that happen in a home happen in the bathroom because of those. I've heard that as well. Surfaces. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. The, the thing that I like to point out when I talk about bathroom design is that very often the, the modifications that are made to homes are, are made by builders or handyman uh, kind of companies. And there's some advantage to getting like me that has a design background to help you with all of these decisions. Because I think back to my the first time that I got involved in doing these aging in place modifications, it was for my own parents. And uh, I just went down to Home Depot and grabbed the first grab bars that I saw and put them up. And they really weren't very attractive. And when the whole thing was done, it was functional, but, you know, it kind of looked like I had made it into a hospital bathroom rather than a stylish bathroom. And these days there are more products that are available for that, but it also takes some thought about where they should be placed and, and how to get them so that they, they blend in well with the existing or even the new bathroom fixtures that you're, you're putting in so that they don't look as much like safety devices. I, I, now that you're bringing up about bathrooms, I'm thinking about my own bathroom in my own house that has um, a slight elevation. You know when they used to use saddles between rooms? Well, mm-hmm. I have that in my um, going into my bathrooms, and mm-hmm. especially the one on the on the main level. And I'm there have been times that I've almost tripped over it. Yeah, saddles so, um, can can be a problem. Um, the typical saddle that I I see most often is sort of a piece of marble that has a square edge to it um, that's, oh, maybe an inch high or so. It's usually trying to make up for the fact that when you put new tile into a room, you might want to put another subfloor in. So it's it's pretty common that, that that height difference between the two rooms gets to be an inch or even more. And so that's to be avoided. But you could also get a saddle that um, has beveled edges. And I, I use that t- technique pretty often. The ADA, which is the um, um, Americans for Disabilities <laughs> Act. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be able to say this. Americans, Americans with Disabilities Act. Act. Yes, they, they have, uh, yeah, the specialist doesn't know the name of my act. Um, they have they have specific guidelines for how to design saddles for going between various spaces, and uh, so I follow those guidelines. Interesting. That's wonderful. And uh, Colin, you mentioned a list that you have of many things that one should uh, should consider or should think about when looking at home modifications as we age. Is that list available somewhere? Yes, the, the list is available. I, I have um, a what I'd call an executive summary of that list on my website, okay. which is colinhealydesign.com. Uh, that's spelled C-O-L-I-N-H-E-A-L-Y design.com. And there's a free download on my site that has the 10... Um, most important sort of modifications that you can make to your home. And it's a good way to get started. And uh, if someone reaches out to me, I can get them access to a much more um, detailed list. But that's a good one to get you started. Uh-huh. And uh, Colin, we've talked about uh, you know the desire to be on one floor. Yes. And sometimes that's not practical. So when it isn't practical, what are some of the other options that uh, uh, that elders have available? Okay. Um, so let's start at the street 
again, um, or the driveway. One way to, to get into the house is to use a ramp, but there are also very small lifts that can be used if, if a ramp is not practical. So that gets us into the house. You asked specifically about second floor. <clears throat> if your bedroom has to be on the second floor, then uh, stair lifts can be installed and a straight stair lift that goes up uh, one story where the ceiling is, you know, your standard eight foot ceiling can be maybe as little as um, 6,000 and maybe as much as 10,000, depending on the model you choose and any kind of features. If you have to make a turn in the stair, uh, the price of that can go up significantly more. You could be in the fifteen to $20,000 range to do that because if you're going up and turning a corner, um, it, it's recommended that there be a continuous path for doing that. You wouldn't want to go up one little lift, get off of the landing, and then get and switch to another chair. So that makes it more expensive. And a third possibility, a, a, another possibility, is to actually use an elevator. I have a project that I'm planning right now in um, Fairfield, Connecticut, where we will have a three-story elevator that goes from a basement all the way up to an attic space in, in a new part of a building that's being built. Um, and that's, as you can imagine, it's expensive, but, you know, when you're, when you're building a new building, the cost of putting in, you know, the holes in the floor to create an elevator shaft aren't really very much. It's the equipment itself that's a problem. There are lower cost ways of putting elevators in homes where it really only requires that you cut holes in the floor and you bring in a system which has, uh, we'll call it glass walls. And once you put the hole through the floor, they can put in the elevator on both floors without even building a shaft. Interesting. Mm -hmm. We only have a couple uh, of minutes add. left. And you, you had a question, Rubina, that I thought was interesting about some maintenance issues. And we only have about three minutes left. So did you want to ask Colin about that? Uh, yes, Colin. You know, one thing is building it and getting mm -hmm. it ready. The other thing is the ongoing maintenance and change. And what are some of the systems that are available or what are some of the services that you've seen available that help senior, seniors stay longer in their, in their homes? Mm -hmm. Right, in the last services. two minutes that we have left. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not an area that I get involved in all that much, uh, uh, but you know, for the exterior of the house, uh, solid materials like, uh, you know, stone patios instead of wood decks take less maintenance. If you're doing decks on the outside using composite materials, the newer uh, composite materials uh, take less maintenance than wood. Uh, vinyl siding takes less maintenance than, than um, you know, wood siding and shingles. So those are some of the, the main things, but there are cleaning services and, um, and maintenance services that are available that if somebody had a specific need, I could advise them on. Okay. Thank you. And uh, Colin, how would our listeners get in touch with you? And I am able to get on your, on your website. I tried two, three times and I was, misspelling the healy with an e okay but yeah my on, name has i am on your website yeah my name has 10 letters uh colin healy design.com and there there there's a lot there that helps you understand how i work with my clients there is that download there's also a download on preparing for a design project which is a little bit more general but it's useful in thinking this through uh, particularly if you're going to do an in-law apartment or a first-floor master suite. Is there any other contact information that you have um, other than your website? Or I guess people could email you through the website uh, uh, or make an appointment with you on the website. 
Sure. Uh, there is a place on the on the website for making appointments. My phone number is there, but I'll give you my email address. It's colinhealy1000 at gmail.com. That's 1000. And uh, I'd be happy to talk with anybody uh, that wants to get some information. If somebody calls yeah. you, I, I assume that um, they could have, you know, a short consultation with you over the Absolutely. phone to get some general ideas before they would go ahead and make an appointment, correct? Yes, exactly. I start with a free phone call that um, very often is 15 minutes to half an hour, uh, but if you need more time, that's okay, and that's enough for us to get to know one another a little bit, have me understand what your project is about, and get you some guidance. If I'm the right person, we make an appointment. If um, I'm not, I can usually guide you to the person that can help. Well, this is really terrific, Colin. Um, I'm sure the listeners learned a lot. I know I did. I think you did as well, Rubina, correct? Definitely, definitely. Well, thanks for your good questions. Thank you, Colin. And we will shortly return to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on Voice America Empowerment Channel. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Phyllis Heyman, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chantry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel, voiceamericaempowerment.com. You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. I'm here again with my co-host, Rubina Chaudhry. And Rubina, didn't we both learn so much from Colin? Oh, definitely, definitely. And he has such nice, calm speaking mannerism, which is uh, very nice. Right. It's easy for anybody to understand easy. him. He speaks clearly and he um, um, explains everything thoroughly. If anybody uh, feels like some of the information is, is, I don't want to say intimidating or complicated, I mean, he's a very patient person. I've, I've um, interviewed him before, both on a television show and on another radio show, and he really mm-hmm. takes the time. He's very patient. He wants you to understand, and he wants to make sure that, that you, you have a safe environment for yourself, for your loved one. So he, he really does take the time mm-hmm. to explain that. Now, Phyllis, I have a question for you. And, you know, we're kind of at the doorsteps of uh, aging. We are in the process of aging. What are some of the thoughts that you have after talking to Colin more than once that you think you might be implementing in your own 
living space over the next few years? Well, as I said, um, I, I have a, um, a throw rug next to my bed. And even though I feel it sometimes slip out, you know, slightly from under me when I get up, even though it has a, a backing on it, um, ask me if I've thought of removing it from the side of the bed. I'm sorry to okay. say I okay. haven't. I mean, as in, in many circumstances, you know, but you like, you don't do it, even though you know it. So now, now that he talked about these LED lights that you could put along, let's say, the baseboard, that's certainly something I'll go to the local hardware store or Home Depot, wherever, and pick that up and put it in my bedroom. I'm definitely going to look at LED lights because I'm always hesitant to turn the light on and just kind of tippy-toying uh, to the bathroom. Um, right, and to it's, the bathroom. Uh, what, what he said is absolutely correct. And not only do most accidents in the home happen in the bathroom, I had always been told, especially working in long-term care and, and still nursing facilities and short-term rehab, a lot of people come in because they fell in the shower um, or, or getting in or out of the tub, and that's when they have a lot of accidents, especially if the floor is wet um, mm-hmm. and you have tile on the floor that's slippery. I myself have experienced this, not necessarily mm-hmm. in my bathroom, but uh, the mm-hmm. tile that comes in from my um, from my front porch. Um, mm-hmm. um, I have gone out during the winter time when it was snowy or icy, like just stepped outside the door for a minute for something. And when I come back mm-hmm. in, the tiles are are very smooth. And if the bottom of my shoe is somewhat wet, oh, okay. I've I've almost fallen actually. So what are you going to do so that you don't fall? Well, I, um, of course, this usually happens in the winter time. but the smart thing would be to go get some kind of little rug in that spot, and not a, not a rug that mm-hmm. would slip, but something that I could wipe my feet on when I step you inside the doorway so that the next step mm-hmm. I take onto the floor, my the bottom of my shoes would be dry or take my shoes off right on that mat and then step off onto the surface with, you know, whatever I'm wearing on, on my feet that, that it's dry. Oh, we've already done some problem solving. Absolutely, but you don't have the snow issue where you are. <laughs> <laughs> I do not have the snow issue, that's, the, <laughs> and that's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. We're, but but we're I have thought about the microwave here. thing quite a bit. I have to say, mm-hmm. um, especially let's say if it's a day where like I have a headache or I've, you know, a little, feel a little weaker or I'm recovering from a cold or something like that. I, I'm acutely aware of the situation with the microwave. As you said, it's one of my favorite examples. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't think people really realize, realize the degree to which that could present a challenge to an older person mm-hmm. or somebody whose balance is, is um, not exactly up to snuff you know, or, or has, is yeah. a, has a walker or a cane or something like that. Sure. You know, even if, if somebody is not able to, you know, have a, a, a microwave built in down below, I would think that minimum thing one could do is put it on the counter so that he's not, it's not up for, on a cabinet. And Correct. that would probably be one of the first things that I would do. Because right now, my microwaves are in, in cabinets, higher up. Right. Um, higher up. So that would be the, uh, the, one of the things I would do. Mm-hmm. And actually, okay. having microwaves built above the stove probably came later on down the line after microwaves came out when they were on counters. They were on counters, yes, yes. I so in a, in a way, you're going backwards research. a little bit. Yeah. What are some of the other things yeah. that you think you might do? I know, Rubina, I've been in your beautiful home. It's all on one level. Uh, what do you think there uh-huh. might be some changes that you would have to make in in your home the way it is right now on one level? Uh-huh. 
Uh, I think one thing that comes to my mind is from my garage into entry into the house, I would have to put a ramp or something because there's about a three, four inch uh, space there. Um, and, but I think uh, in microwave, I would have to move. Uh, I think I have uh, reasonably wide access. My husband is an engineer and uh, he pays attention to things like this. And uh, I know it was always on his mind if we were creating a doorway or something, even though I haven't measured them. And and, and you've met him. He does. Uh, he's uh, an excellent analyst. Um, uh, yes, he is. Quite engineer. meticulous, I may say. Yeah. <laughs> huh? I said he's quite meticulous. Oh, very meticulous. Very meticulous. Very meticulous yeah. and exact. Yes, yes. And one thing we did do when we were doing our landscaping, our, you know, the, it's a slanting, sloping, uh, property. So we created on one side of the house, we created almost like a ramp-like, uh, walkway where we could go or take utility, you know, cart or something to the lower level. Uh, so, so we were giving some thought to, to accessibility when we were remodeling it. Yeah. And what uh, you've been in my plan- place, what do you think I would need? Um, gee, I, I hadn't looked at it that way when when I was there. Okay. Um, okay. But Maybe I can't really think of anything except I, I uh, just hearing him talk about the doorways, I didn't really mm-hmm. notice um, if the doorways were wide or not. Um, so that would be the only thing I could think of. I don't remember there being saddles between the rooms, but, you know, I was there for a few days, and um, huh. so I don't 100% know, but do you think and all I, the doorways think, uh, are wide enough? Uh, That's the only thing I would I think. I think most of them are. I, I Most of them are. Yeah. I think most of them are, and uh, knowing my husband, I I mean, there's some many of the doorways we inherited, but if we make a new one, I know he's always very conscientious to make sure that it's ADA compliant and there's access and, uh, uh, you know, because we deal with ADA and we deal with renovating properties that come under that guideline. Uh, so very, very aware of that. Uh-huh. Very aware of that. So I was, I was, um, actually thinking that um, as I mentioned in the uh, at the end of the first break about planning by choice rather than crisis, which right. we've talked about so many times in terms of finances, in terms of, um, I talk about it, as you well know, in terms of people getting information about uh, the kinds of, I'd say, services, not only services that are available, but the information you really should have because in the event of a crisis, uh, that's not the time to educate yourself, and then often you're at the mercy of other people, and and you're also in the throes of a situation where you might make a decision that's not in the best one for you. Uh, so I mm-hmm. would say lo- just like that, that people should really start to think about that when they reach a certain age. To start uh, definitely, to some information, and, and, do some reading, do some research. What would you say? Oh, definitely. And I think not only people should start doing their research themselves, those of us that are in this, uh, in this elder care advocacy, ad- elder care education, uh, uh, landscape, we need to be thinking about some of the services that we could offer. And that's the, in my research, I found, uh, uh, at least one senior center that has uh, a tool exchange program. For seniors, or uh, a winterizing program, where they have a volunteer force that, or uh, you know, that can go in in your areas, and this facility happens to be in uh, in your state, and uh, you know, they help because other thing is when people are older, they're living alone. It's not that easy for them to evaluate and access services. So if Correct. our seniors programs do something, and maybe this will be an idea for Olive as we grow, uh, as we grow to have pre-screened service providers that seniors can go from the list, you know, pre-qualified. 
and and provide some of those services. Uh, there's something that you said that I think you had had asked about it during the break, and I don't think we really touched on it. Um, but when you say about resources that could actually go into people's home and assess what their needs are, something simple like changing a light bulb can be challenging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you might not be able to reach it. It's the same kind of thing. You might need two hands, and if you have a walker or a cane, um, depending on where it is, if you have to turn it, it's similar to like a, a turning a doorknob, although it's usually a smaller circumference. Um, the, simple things like that can be challenging, and people don't you know really what? realize it. You know, he was talking about hurting his shoulder, and many years ago I had a torn rotator cuff, and so I was actually, as he was talking, I, I briefly remembered that I did have some not only difficulties with turning door handles, um, I even had difficulty picking up a mug that was heavy. So that's mm-hmm. even something simple like that people can start to think about in terms of your dishes, your utensils. Are they heavy? Are you able to pick them up any longer? These things can present challenges the same way as, um, you know, design modifications, oh, like whether your, your, your bathroom width is, is, is wide enough or accessible enough for a wheelchair. Uh, one of the things that's, uh, that's coming to my mind on, through these conversations is that as we work in Olive and grow Olive, I think it would be worthwhile to explore uh, a volunteer group or something, seniors, helping seniors, something like that. That's just the name that came to my mind. So that we can have a core of people who are handy, can help those that, that are in their home so that they don't need to go to, for simple things, go to a service provider or a contractor because also finances are limited too for the elderly. So you know, perhaps something, we can keep it on our list of to-do things that's growing every day, right, Phyllis? Absolutely. So this has really been terrific. I I learned a lot. I know you did, and I hope our listeners did as well. So we will, hoping that they join us next week again on Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Thank you for listening this week to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Please join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Robina Chaudhry, again next Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.